0: Welcome back to the Someone To Tell It To podcast. It's so good to have you with us today. We're going to do something today that we've only done a few times, and that's we're going to re-release a previous episode from a couple months ago with a very special guest of ours, Jeannie Zappi. Welcome back to the Someone To Tell It To podcast. You are going to absolutely love this conversation today because we did. We say this almost every week but we could have sat with our guests today for hours. And we had to actually cut off our conversation after about maybe a little over an hour because it was just such a rich dialogue. Our guest today asked this fascinating question. What does it mean to be an eternal optimist? She then answers the question for us. It means asking yourself, what if I can set a goal, big or small, conquer a challenge, or make a change. It means saying
1: yes and living your best life. So this is Jeannie Zappi, who calls herself an eternal optimist. On September 6th, 2021, at the age of 55, Jeannie completed a solo crossing of the English Channel from Dover, England to Wissant, France in 14 hours and 55 minutes. She became the 707th woman since 1926 to do so and she was also 20 years older than the average successful channel swimmer. Jeannie holds a Bachelor's of Science in Quantitative Business Analysis degree from the Pennsylvania State University and a Master of Science in Business Administration from Bucknell University. After 20 years in higher education information technology, culminating in several high-level leadership positions, she reinvented herself as a swim coach, returning to what she loved doing in high school and college. Since then, she's been an age group swim coach, an assistant collegiate coach, and a master's coach. She began, began private technique coaching in 2010 and has had the honor of co- coaching both state and national level athletes, in addition to triathletes, iron men and iron women, and marathon and open water swimmers. Jeannie owns and operates Eternal Optimist, an inspirational speaking, personal coaching, and swimming coaching business located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, very near us. She loves sharing her story of her journey to the channel and how she landed on the shores of France in midlife. Most importantly, she enjoys sharing the lessons learned along the way while she inspires others to live their very best life. We're going to hear all about her
0: story today. Well, Jeannie, welcome to the Someone to Tell 2 podcast. We're delighted to have you in the same space as us today. Thank you. To have this conversation.
2: It's nice to be here in person. Yes. Yes.
0: So we would love to just learn a little bit more about your story. I know our listeners are going to be fascinated by your story. We took our our time this week researching all about you. (laughs) And so maybe just, maybe a high level, just tell us how you ended up here.
2: How did I end up here? And thank you for having me. Uh, I'm honored. I've just been a lifetime swimmer and it, uh, you know, I I actually I grew up swimming in my backyard pool and just a little above ground pool and then thankfully we moved to a, a school district that had an indoor pool. I became a high school swimmer and it changed my life. I went off to Penn State and I didn't know anything about collegiate swimming. I dreamed of swimming in college, but I didn't do it. I didn't know how to. I walked over to the Nat. I looked at it. I looked at the times. I I wondered if I could swim there. I never uh, tried, which I think is odd because I'm not that kind of person now, obviously, if I jump in in the middle of the night and swim the English Channel. But (laughs) I, you know, I didn't swim in college. And I think that kept that fire burning within me. And I had unfinished business. I just, and then I kept swimming and swimming and fitness swimming, joined a master's team in my mid thirties when my first child was 18 months old. And and then one day I swam one mile in a lake in 2010. And I thought, well, that was fun. I wonder if I could do two miles. I wonder how far I could go. I wonder if, I, I wonder if there's a limit to how far I could swim. I had changed my stroke and become a certified efficient swimming coach. So I had changed the way I swim. I figured to be a better coach, I need to be able to do it. And to be able to be a better swimmer makes me a better coach. So, you know, one mile led to two miles, led to three miles, led to six miles, led to 10, 15, 29 around Manhattan and then the English Channel. Wow. I just never stopped. And so... You know, it, it's kind of crazy that you can swim the English Channel at 55 and and feel like a kid. I felt like a kid. So,
1: oh, there's just so much, so <laughs> much to, to... So, after 20 years in higher education, information, yeah. information technology, you left it. I did. And what inspired you to leave that and then do what you're doing now? Yeah, it, it, and... I I believe you
2: guys reinvented yourselves too, right? You know, as I was listening to your podcast. So maybe that's
1: why we're very interested in your story because I think there there are some similarities. Mm -hmm. There really are.
2: I was picking that up when I was listening to your to your podcast. You know, I had a great career in higher ed IT at Bucknell and I was grateful for every moment. I had done every job in that organization that I wanted to do. And then it came time to do I apply to be the chief information officer or not? And at the same time, I had two kids that were relatively young, seventh grade and first grade. My husband was the dean there. Two big jobs, two little kids, flying around like idiots all the time. And I think one day I... I, I had dinner with two friends who I used to work with, and they had moved on, and they gave me permission and gave me the courage to let go. They actually said, Jeannie, you can let go. It's okay. And I went home, and God loved my husband because I said, I need to tell you something, and you have to say yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and he's like, oh, no. Uh, and I no. said, he goes, okay, what is it? And I said, I have to quit my job he said, what are you going to do? I don't know. I, in Lewisburg, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I really didn't know what I was going to do until I met a friend at an event. And he said, we have to get you coaching again. He was the coach of my son's team. And I had coached in college and in, at the end of high school and college. And I said, I don't know anything about coaching. But he said, yeah, you do. and he mentored me and I became a coach and it was a whole new, I felt like an it person trying to coach swimming. I, I mean, it was like an it person on deck. I didn't, I didn't think I was a coach. I, I just felt like I was a computer person showing up to coach swimming. And then one day I remember thinking, I feel like a swim coach now trying to do it because I was still doing a little it, with consulting and going to some conferences and doing some presentations. And then one day I decided I couldn't go to the IT stuff anymore because I had evolved into a swim coach.
0: Have you ever taken like a strengths finder?
2: Yes. I used to do strengths (laughs) finder for my staff at Bucknell. So what did
0: you learn about yourself?
2: I was definitely uh, the people person, the leader, the, the caring HRE kind of person, you know, and then when it came an, an influencer, energizer, and that was the role that I had at my organization. It didn't, it worked for a long time, but then when it came time, do I really want to be a hardcore IT person and I really have to eat IT for, eat, you know, technology for breakfast? That wasn't me. I would, I, I do people, you know, I'm all about the people and coaching is all about the people. Coaching is about growing people and building confidence and make, helping them to know that they can do what they want to do. I can teach stroke technique until I'm blue in the face. But if, if these adults and these swimmers that I coach get behind the block and don't believe that they're capable of doing what I think they're capable of doing, it doesn't matter what I've taught them. So I, I use all that influencer, energizer, and I, I do it in my own business now, which is private coaching.
0: We look forward to getting into all of that in a few moments, but maybe for our listeners, you could take us back to September 6th, 2021, <laughs> when you successfully swam across the English channel. Just set the scene for us and describe what happened and what your thoughts and feelings were as you did it.
2: What a day, what a day, what a magical day. I think there was, you know, I don't want people to think it was all, you know, it all went as planned. No, nothing that's worth it really does, right? Like, I think the first guy that crossed the English Channel, Captain Matthew Webb, said nothing great is easy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a lot of adversity going into the swim, the pandemic, created problems with training and and pools being open. And at one point they were going to cl- talking about closing lakes and, and I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And the, the other swim that I just finished, Catalina Channel, had been canceled in 20. So that was supposed to be not a training swim, but a, a swim that was supposed to help me with some of the skills I needed for the English Channel, Oce- big oceans, which I had swum in, but not for – 15 to 17 hours at a time. Night swimming. Yeah. Doesn't that sound crazy? Yeah. It's it's inconceivable. The whole whole day you're awake, I I swam. Yeah. Night swimming for the entire night. And cold. English Channel was 63 that day. And there's no wetsuit. You don't wear a wetsuit. It's just suit cap and goggles. You have to swim the way the first person crossed the channel, which is called English Channel Rules so there was the the adversity of the of the pandemic and going into this uh, doing the training the disappointment of Catalina not happening I at the time I also needed a hip replacement which I was putting off to get past the channel and then have it so that I didn't get have my training affected mm-hmm. and and then there was the you can't travel without quarantining and all the stress associated with that So we finally got there and and they lifted the quarantine. I took three of friends with me, three crew, and we they lifted the quarantine right before we went over in August. So we didn't have to do the ten day quarantine, but we were there two weeks prior to my swim. I had a two I had an eight day window where I had a number one spot in the eight day window, meaning I get the best first crack at the best weather. And in that eight-day tide, well, I thought for sure I would swim sometime in that eight-day tide. Eight days was a big tide and a big window. It didn't happen. The weather was, weather was horrible as it is. And it, in August, it's really rough over there. So we, it, got, it looked like we, we, I might not swim. And I might have done all the training and not get to swim. And it happens. People go home. And I had taken three people with me, three lovely friends, and you know we they they got off work they you know it, it was a big to do but at the at the eleventh hour, I got the phone call from the boat pilot on a Saturday morning, just when we were talking about extending our stay to try to see if I could get into the next window and swim in the next window, which was somebody else's window, not. You know, that's, my window closes. So if they can squeeze you in, they will. But it, it's no guarantee whatsoever. So I got the, the call Saturday morning. We're going Sunday night. Going to be rough. There were a few relays out there that night and two solos, me and one other person. And we went in the water about 10 o'clock at night. And it was rocking and rolling out there. <laughs> Waves, Wind. Dark, cold. Although I had done all my cold acclimation, so I felt good. I felt good in the water. I felt great. Jellyfish, and then just swim through the night. Not even a moon, and navigating on the boat because in the English Channel you just have the boat. You don't have a kayaker because it's too rough out there, and getting pushed all over the place. And then sun came up at I don't know six six thirty seven and. And then I kept swimming until one, until I hit sand on France and walked out, ran out. Wow, oh. <laughs> That's there, a simplified version.
1: <laughs> there are like a million questions now. That you, <laughs> where, I don't even know where to start. You, you mentioned, just let me ask you this simple one, jellyfish. Did jellyfish. Did you get
2: stung, stung yes. by any? Yes, there and, are. And that's all part of this thing called open water swimming and when you swim in oceans you're going to have jellyfish Uh, I had jellyfish singing me in the middle of the English channel there's something called the separation zone so you have the the British side which is the British intercoastal the British shipping lane then the separation zone which is no no man's land kind of and then the French shipping and the French intercoastal so right in the middle and it was nighttime it was wee hours and a lot of stings. What about and other w- creatures? No other creatures. <laughs> I I don't think there was a dolphin on that one. The water's cold. So, you know, there's no sharks in the English Channel. So that's you lovely. Were, you didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have right? to worry about that. <laughs> the jellyfish are, I've been stung before a lot on other swims. So it wasn't a big shocker. I just popped my head up to my crew and I said, jellies. And they said, we know, keep going.
1: But there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. You just endure it. You just endure it. it
2: and and Keeps you awake, I'm sure. It keeps me awake. (laughs) And in my recent swim, which was Catalina Channel, they were stinging me every minute. And I was having trouble in that swim, which was six weeks ago, staying awake in the middle of the night, which is weird. I never had that before. But the jellyfish were stinging me every minute. So at least it kept me awake. Which sounds awful. But yeah, so the English channel, I did get stung, but it wasn't perpetual. It was, you know, in the wee hours in the separation zone. Is it how? Let's so have one more question
1: and yeah. I'll let you ask whatever. How lonely is it out there? I mean, there's a boat. Yeah. But how close is the boat? And, and can you really converse with them or are they with you easily? And Very difficult. So, it's, how? Yeah, I mean, that's you're, a mental... You, when you talk about being a, you know, you, you, you love people and you, yes. you need to talk, you need to be around people and talk with people. That is an extremely lonely position to be in.
2: And that's probably the hardest part. So
1: I'm wondering how, t- talk about that's, that. What does yeah.
2: that... That is the hardest what, part of what, what I kept do. You,
1: what keeps you going in that scenario?
2: I think you guys can get this from, from what, I've, what I've listened to. I, I do a lot of internal work. You know, and i I do a lot of intentions for people. I pray a lot, and I find reasons to go on over and over and over again. I have friends that do this stuff, so I am lucky that I can call a friend and say, "Hey, when you swam the English Channel, what did what what would you tell me I need to know?" And you know, I interview this person, interview that person, interview this person. I'm grateful that I'm part of this little niche, weird group that does this stuff. And we all think it's normal. (laughs) And so my friend, Anthony, uh, you know, said to me, Jeannie, you're going to have sensory deprivation of the highest order. And I had done a relay across the English Channel in 2017. So I had been on the water. I had been in a boat. I swam one hour at a time on a relay. So I swam three times, I think, on that relay. I know what it looked like, I know what it felt like, so that helped. but when you 're in that channel and the wind is whipping and the waves there's a boat that's kind of idling or tacking, you know they they have to go pretty slow, you know, and you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, and you can 't hear anything and so i 'm swimming about i don 't know fifteen feet from the boat, maybe just far enough to so that they can keep a good eye on me, but I'm not going to hit the boat by accident, which I kind of did a couple times. But I can't hear my crew. I can't see my crew. And that's so hard. You know, they have lights on, and there's no big light on or anything because you don't want to attract. In, in that water, you're not going to attract bad things. In the Pacific, you don't want to light up the water because you don't want to attract fish that will attract other big fish. And so... You know, in general, you don't have a light on you. There was a light on the side of the boat. I have a light on the back of my head my and, a, and on the back of my back, just a little one. And my crew had lights on their heads and glow sticks on. So I could kind of see where they were, but I couldn't see faces. And that's hard. And then when I'm feeding, which is every 30 minutes, I take a feed as fast as possible, drink liquid carbs that they throw to me on a rope and i'm kicking on my back as hard as possible and they're trying to talk to me they're trying to say you know my my crew chief deb will is the chief communicator so she'll be saying are you don't do you're doing great are you doing okay you know do you need meds the next time you know or i'll be yelling tylenol next time mouthwash next time or something like that
0: yeah it's helpful because i that was one thing i wanted to ask do you have any breaks like do you get to catch your breath at all or you have to just, even when you're sucking down those liquid carbs you just your sprint kicking on your back
2: wow. because of the tides because of the currents yeah so in in some swims you don't have to you know kick like frantic or or swim while you're drinking like in manhattan i didn't have to do that but in the english channel you're, you're swimming across the current and constantly and as soon as i stopped swimming or kicking i got swept behind the boat so i had to go on my back like an otter, kick really hard. My ears are in the water. I'm drinking, and they're trying to communicate with me. And I'm trying to communicate it with them. And it, basically, it turns out to be a lot of what, 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 okay. And then I keep going. And, and then I see them in the daylight. And when the sun came out, I got to switch to the, to the other side of the boat, which is my favorite side, so that I could breathe to one side, my favorite side, which is to my right And I could see them on every breath. And then they, you know, I can see that they're smiling. I can see that they're dancing or trying to entertain me. Or sometimes they'll put costumes on and, you know, cat masks or wigs or Wonder Woman outfits and try to get me to laugh.
0: They're not yelling stop or anything like that. No, no, they have
2: never done that. They're all, they have a very important job. This is not a solo activity. They have a very important job of taking care of me and knowing, you know, knowing what my, what I should look like in the water, is my stroke rate the right, am I swimming fast enough, does it look like something's wrong, is, am I in trouble, am I going to hurt myself, do I have to stop? And, you know, their their job is to keep me going, but also to keep me safe and encouraging and that's why... You know, they're such special, 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 special friends.
0: Yeah. So like Michael, there's so many questions to ask. And another one I'd like to ask is in regards to you had talked about this potential looming hip replacement. Yeah. And what was that process like when you've invested so much of yourself into training? And then this is a very real possibility that this might, this aspiration is, is just not going to happen because of, because physical, of that. Yeah, I know. physical ailments.
2: You know, you you book an English Channel pilot three years in advance, give or take. Mm. So I booked it in 2018 after I had done the English Channel Relay. I sat on it for a year and I'm like, "Mm." and then sent the email one night and Mm. to the pilot, to a, a pilot saying, you know, can you give me a date in 21? In the meantime, my hip goes downhill. And what I thought was just muscular was actually arthritis. And there just didn't seem any like any good time to have it taken care of. Plus the first time they tell you, you need a hip replacement, you don't go, Oh yeah. Yay. You know, sign me up next week. <laughs> you you say, give me some meds and I'll call you when it's really bad. Well, it did get really bad and it got really bad in 20, but you know, I wasn't going to get a, I wasn't going to have surgery in 20. Nobody was. And, and then it was time to train for the channel. And I ramped it up in December of 20, big time. And then January until August, massive amounts of training and yardage. And it was tough. It was really, I, I was in pain. I don't kick when I swim. So, the you know, it wasn't the swimming that was hurting my hip. It was life. I actually felt good in the water because the water held me. And anti-gravity, right? It was land that I just couldn't tolerate walking, flip turning. You know, I was training in the pool that I work at and I would do, I did 25, 10,000 yard swims in the pool, which was 400 laps at a time. So I was doing like 390 some odd flip turns. And after I would do a 10K, I was in a lot of pain. So I was, a lot of, I was in a lot of pain over there waiting for the swim I was not in pain whatsoever while I swam. It's an ice bath. It was a 14-hour and 55-minute ice bath. Mm -hmm. It was great. But mentally, it was tough.
1: Yeah. Since it was tough, understandably, did you ever want to give up? Was there any points along the way that's like, I don't know if I can keep going here. I don't know if I can if I have enough affirmations or enough, enough, enough Enough. build up to, to keep me going, did you ever feel that way? Or were you able to get you? Obviously you you got through it, but but was there a point where you questioned it?
2: I can't believe I'm saying no. I, I, no, I, you know, I, uh, there's no manual on how to swim the English channel. There's a couple books that people have written, but you know, you sort of make it up and I interviewed people and I'm a coach and, you know, I I did it with a lot of efficiency and, you know, I didn't do it just with like millions and bazillions and millions and millions of yards. I did swim a lot of yards, but some people really swim crazy, 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 crazy. I think I just checked off all the boxes that I needed to check off in terms of distance, yardage, speed, Swimming at night, swimming in jellyfish, swimming in saltwater. I had done a lot of swims leading up to this that also helped me get ready for the swim. By the time I got there and I waited for almost two full weeks to swim, I was determined that nothing was going to pull me out. The only thing that was going to pull me out was an injury Mm -hmm. or my life was at risk or the boat pilot says, we're not going to make it.
0: Even when you were just first getting in the water, were there any lingering doubts?
2: No. It's kind of crazy. I, I felt so confident. I, there's a picture of me talking to my crew chief, Deb, as we're pulling up to the beach, to Sapphire Ho, where I got in. And I'm just like kick, kicked back standing there, you know, like having a conversation with her. And in my mind, I just told myself, And this is a good lesson for life. This is just an ocean like any other ocean. I'm not going to make it into more than it is. It's not going to help me to stand there and go, this is the English Channel. Oh, my goodness. This is Mm it. Make it or break it. I didn't do that. I just said, I'm just taking an ocean swim. And a friend of mine who's also a swimmer said to me, I said, Josh, I feel like I... I swim like I walk. Like swimming to me feels like walking. I could actually swim better than I could walk at that time. Mm. (laughs) And he said, Jeannie, you're just going to take a 20-mile, 21-mile walk across to France. So I would just tell myself, I'm just walking to France. I'm walking to France. And the way I walk is I swim. And then I had another friend who told me, also good advice, you're going to have to find one reason to go on at any given time, just find any reason to keep going. And that's a good lesson for life, right? Just find one reason. So I had to find a lot of reasons that night, but in the hard times, like the nighttime when I'm getting bashed around and wind and waves and water in my mouth and, you know, can't see my crew, can't, don't know where I am. I spent the whole night navigating, you know, how far away from the boat am I? Am I too far, too close? How am I breathing? uh, Oh, no, it's time for a feed. Ugh, You know, I just kept finding reasons to go on. And sometimes it was I was swimming for someone else, for for a friend who can't swim right now, for people who are battling issues and and illness, and for my swimmers that I coach uh, over the years, many, many, many of them. I try to list them by name while I swim. And for the crew that came with me, just, you know, I just kept rolling through the reasons to keep going. And then the, one of the biggest reasons was if I did this, how cool would it be to share it with people? And, you know, you don't have to swim the English Channel, but what is it that you want to do? Why aren't you doing it? And if go ahead and try, you might just do it.
0: We were so excited to have this conversation. I know I especially was just because I'm a marathon runner and I ran my first marathon in the midst of the pandemic. And some of the questions that I I know I'm asking you is because I'm remembering back to what that whole process was of training and preparing. And so last fall, just for our listeners, you've heard us talk about how much both Michael and I love to run. But last fall, I had trained all summer in the, the sweltering central Pennsylvania humidity all summer long and prepared and prepared and was ready to go. And then I got COVID the week before my marathon. So I had to postpone after all that hard work. And I ended up, I had a commitment. I was going to run a full marathon by my 40th birthday, which was last fall. So for whatever reason, the night before I just felt like it was my go time. Like I had prepared well and I got it. I set all my stuff up and I said to my wife, I'm just going to do my best tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. I was still recovering from COVID. Wow. Got up the next morning at 4.30 and I was out the front door. No crowds, no rest stations, and I completed a marathon. And it was a huge goal of mine, you know, to be able to do it. And it was, it's, it's purely mental. It's mental. But I know I still, I just ran a marathon, a full marathon just two weeks ago. And I still have those lingering doubts occasionally getting up to the starting line. Yes. That, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to do this or your body's going to break down, et cetera, et cetera. Or it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And why are you doing this to yourself? But one of the phrases I love to use, just I think it's a, a strong leadership principle is just trust the process. Yeah, And I know I've had like you, a community rally around me heading into these marathons to just cheer me on knowing how hard I had trained. And a couple of them asked like the days leading up, because for marathon runners, you, you, you kind of toned down your, your mileage the last two weeks. Yes, And so you kind of your mind plays mental tricks on you thinking that you're not going to be ready now. Cause you're so used to running every single day. And then all of a sudden the last two weeks, you're running like three miles in a day. So then you get up to the starting line. You're like, what, I'm not going to be ready for this. Right. You know, it went away. It went but away. You just have away to, the phrase is you just have to trust the process. And uh, I think that's just such an important lesson for, for life in so many ways. It it's is. Just you trust what you've trained yourself to do.
2: Yeah. It was all those early mornings that you got up And it was when you ran in the rain, and it was when you ran in the cold and the hot and the steam. And and when I got up and I was in my backyard pool, tethered to my ladder, swimming in place before my family got up that day. And it's raining, and I'm trying to get the last bit of yardage in for that week before we went somewhere. And that's all part of the process. Congratulations. Thank you. That was a mental, that was all mental by the time. I mean, you put the training in, (laughs) but... That day, stepping up to the line. My
0: wife's not going to want to listen to this episode, but I'm really close to pulling the trigger on running my first 50K in December. Oh, an ultra. Yeah, so we'll see. I know.
2: (laughs) I know. I I come home every now and then like, oh, guess what I signed up for. Yeah. You know, (laughs) just kind of put it in passing. Here's dinner. Oh, I signed up for this. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. You get get it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you
1: get it. So what so you step onto the sand yeah. in France? What did that feel like? What what, what how did you react to the my, my i I actually did it. I'm here. Oh, I made it. There it was, was what, nothing tell like us it. if you can, what yeah.
2: that felt like. I think, you know, at some point I knew well when my <laughs> they started playing music on the boat and I, and you know, so the, when not, when the, when France was getting closer and I, I was always taught and advised by others not to look, don't look, don't look forward. Don't look at the finish line. Don't look at the bridge that you're trying to go One to. One step at a time. No, it, it, it's just going to be demoralizing yeah. because it's going to be forever till you get there. But at some point I couldn't ignore that I saw France <laughs> and you know, I saw some, Mountains, some little hills, and a beach, and they were playing music on the boat. And so when I fed, I could hear they were playing my favorite songs. And I thought, okay, the vibe has changed from very, very serious to, you know, and my we're just my, about here. Yeah. And my <laughs> boat pilot was fishing off the boat. He was fishing. And I thought, okay, if, if Paul's fishing, I think I'm okay, right? I might make it. And so keep going, going, going. And I think that was the most glorious swimming that last bit. You know, the water in the English Channel is beautiful. You don't think of it as beautiful, you think of it as wicked and um you know, if you've ever seen the movie Dunkirk, that's the water. And but it's bluish greenish and it's clean and and it is cold and it's and it's got wicked currents. But it's beautiful to me and I just love that water and so I was, and I think the whole time I swam, I just, I just kept saying to myself, you know, don't wish this away. You wanted this. This might be my only time doing it. Soak it up. So I was soaking it all up. And, mm-hmm. and then I swam until my body hit sand and I stood up with my bad hip and it took several times to stand up because I hadn't stood up in 15 hours And, and my body had the effects of cold, although I wasn't cold per se. And then, you know, I, I ran out and as best as as I could run until you clear the water and clear the wet sand. And there were two people there who I had met when we did our relay, they take pictures of channel swimmers. He's, he's a channel, a very successful channel swimmer. And he and his wife take pictures. So they were on land and they were there greeting me. Jeannie, welcome to France <laughs> oh, and wow. took video, took pictures for me. And I only was allowed to be on France for two minutes. That's all you're allowed to do. It's a, it's an immigration thing. Like I'm not coming oh, on. I'm just going to ask,
1: do you yes. have to have a passport
2: or yes, something? Yes. Pass- <laughs> all of our passports were on the boat and border control is involved. And wow. so I had to have permission to land, and my boat could only go so far, so my boat stayed back at some point, and my my pilot said, see those two people on land, and there's a house up there or something, go there, swim there, and he they just let me go, and, and they stay back, because immigration wise, you know, there's very strict laws about what happens, and so I only had two minutes, so I said hello to Steve and Frederic and got my picture taken and got some video. And thank, thankfully, because that's, that's the only thing I have from, from that landing. And then it was time to, I said, hello, France. I looked around for a moment. I forgot to pick up a shell or a pebble. And then I had to swim back to the boat mm. and oh swam back to the boat. And, and I, I remember getting on the boat and looking at my friends and just saying, Oh, my God, I just went the just English happened. channel. Like, how did I do that? And it took about two and a half hours to get back to, to England. And had, I had laid down in a bunk and took a little nap, came up part of the way, and we were in the middle of the channel where you can't see France and you can't see England, and I'm with my friends. And my friend Susan just said, "You you swam this whole thing. Like, how? And... You can't see land anywhere. And I said, I don't, I, you know, the way I did it, 30 minutes at a time. So you can do anything if you break it down.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? Yes. Talk about the random things that come into your head when you're on mile 16. Well, I always think of Dora, the the phrase, just, just keep keep swimming.
2: swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's right. And that's what I did, you know, and I, I did what my crew told me to do when I, when I was told to do it pick it up, do this, do that, you know, take some meds, use mouthwash. I did what I was supposed to do and I got it, but I did it in 30 minute increments. I never looked at 15 hours or whatever it was going to be. I just went 30 minutes to 30 minutes to 30 minutes to 30 minutes. And then eventually they all added up and I got there. Wow!
1: So What kind of, yeah. Just one, one more question is yep. related a follow up. What kind of celebration did you have then? I mean, what did you yeah. do to celebrate? I mean, this is a momentous occasion.
2: Yeah. The, let's see, I'm very sore when <laughs> I get home. When I got back, it was night, it was evening. We, by the time we, you know, I think I landed at one something and then boat back and, and then cab back to the town we were staying in. Pretty big to do. So, and then I needed ice. I, I always ice my shoulders and, I have to be scrubbed down because I have all this stuff on me. The next day was me laying down a lot, laying in the grass in our backyard of our Airbnb and really kind of laying low. I think we went out to eat and then the next day we determined was our celebration. And they, my, my dear friends, my crew, asked me what I wanted to do and so I just... I, I texted them all, even though they're with me in the Airbnb, I texted them all an itinerary. These are the things I want to do. I want to take one more group swim in the in the channel, in Folkestone, on the beach. I want to sit on the beach. I want to listen to my favorite songs because all of my friends and followers made a playlist for me, a Wonder Woman playlist hmm. with all of their favorite inspirational songs and my favorite songs. So I wanted to sit on the beach, look at the English Channel, and listen to my my playlist with my friends I wanted us to take one more dip I wanted us to go to the champagne bar in Folkestone and have a have a toast I wanted to go sign the wall in the bar in Dover that you sign when you do a solo so we went over to Dover and I signed the wall and then we went and had dinner at the place at the at the place we had our first dinner at when we got over there so we kinda did the same place on the beginning and the end and i had a a beautiful day with my friends and that was our celebration thank you for listening to the someone to tell it to podcast wonders found thrift shop is proud to be one of its sponsors wonders found is an all volunteer run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas we support local missions people experiencing homelessness veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: we're just absolutely astounded. It's just, it's hard to even wrap our minds around it's great. What you accomplished.
2: Well, a 50, a 50 miler. Is, <laughs> well, we'll see. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I yet. can't wrap my head around that either.
0: But maybe we could kind of shift gears just to talk about some of the greatest kind of lessons that you've learned through all of this. I want to talk specifically just about this phrase that you've coined, just eternal optimist. Yes. And what, what does that mean? And
2: Yeah. Where did it come where from? Where did it come from? I, I spoke a little bit about the adversity of the pandemic right before this and And going into 21, where the summer of 21, where I'm watching the news every day, can you travel to England? Can you travel to England? Are we going to be able to get in? Are we going to be able to get there? And then, yes, they did open it, but with the quarantine. And so I'm making all these plans for a 10-day quarantine on top of an already long trip with Mm my friends who took time off and you know they have lives and this is all affecting them yet i can't do what i do without them and so my my friend susan who was a roommate in college back in at penn state in penn state days one day on the phone she said we're just going to have to be eternal optimists that it's going to all work out and i knew i wanted the word optimism somewhere in my team name but i said to susan that's it that's the name of our team the eternal optimists. And right then and there, we just named our team that and we got our, got our swag and it just, and I created a Facebook group called eternal optimists with an S on the end. And that's, that was the, the group of people, anybody that could join and just follow my swim. They followed the tracker, they followed the updates. And then we sold apparel. I wanted to raise money for, my mother, my mother-in-law, and my other crew person and friend, Kathy, is a cancer survivor. And my mother and mother-in-law were battling cancer during the pandemic, both going to chemo wow. when nobody could go with them, mm-hmm. and and Kathy herself is a survivor. So I knew I wanted to do something to raise money for cancer. Each one of them picked a charity, and we sold apparel for to raise money for the three charities and every people loved it. The, the hats are everywhere, the quarter zips, the t-shirts. And so since then I've come back and renamed my company eternal, eternal optimist. And I'm. So were you
0: always an eternal optimist or was there something that occurred to shift your way of being and seeing the world?
2: I think I've always been one. My dear friend from college and I have an ongoing thing about glass half full all the time, glass half full. And it's always been like that. And, you know, we share glass half full stuff. We get the glass half full shirts. We send it to each other, glass half full mugs. And I think we've always, I've always been an optimist.
0: And Michael on his strengths finder, he's, you're an optimist,
1: right? Yeah. It's one of I'm your fairly pies. sure po- it's one of mine positivity too. Positivity is, was is, on is yeah. mine too. One of my, one of my biggest strengths. Yeah. Me too. Yeah.
2: Me too. I mean, why not? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. You could be the opposite. <laughs> that's right. right. That's, that's so
1: right. easy that's for right. all of us.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs>
2: I know.
0: Some of us aren't hardwired to see the world that way. <laughs> yeah. But that's why we need you in our lives. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, mm-hmm.
2: I guess, I don't know. I, uh, my kids would say the same thing. They would say, yeah, she's pretty optimistic. Everybody has their days. And there are times in life went that are harder than others. Even
1: optimists sometimes want to give. You know, they feel like oh, I don't know. I want to give up on. You know, I don't know if I can do this, or whatever. But yes. But ultimately, it kind of, it's back to the yeah. I can do this. We're yes, still we can we can do
2: this. we can still be practical and yeah, right. we can still have tough times. Um, right. It's a little. Sometimes it feels like Ugh, I don't want to really go around calling myself the eternal optimist. You know, like as if it's all hearts and flowers all the time. Right. But you know, if you put the hard work in and you know, it's, I didn't get across the channel just by being an eternal optimist. I did a bunch of other stuff too, but I think we, my team and I remained eternal optimists through that whole two week window where every day we didn't get the phone call. We didn't get to go. And, but that just made me more determined when I finally did get the chance. And I think the way I coach is very much with eternal optimism. I, when I do private coaching, you know, I, I try to pull out what, what the swimmers, what the kids and adults are doing right, you know, what, and, and make them feel like they're invincible. And I think I teach that more than I teach swimming. You know, swimming is just the vehicle by which I teach them confidence and invincibility and standing up tall. And because if you can do that, you can do so much.
1: But you, you, you write and you, and you say that, that you, you want to help people do, you encourage people to do what they love. Yeah. What is it that you love? And do it. If, you know, yes. Try, where did that come from? Where, what motivated you, inspired you to believe that and to encourage that? Because not everyone does. Yeah. I, we, we love that. Well, actually, we, we love that very much, and we're doing what we love. Yes. And, and, and not everyone understands that. You know, why, well, perhaps why, but th- tell us, just tell us more about that. What inspiration brought you to believe that and to want to share that?
2: And I'm glad, I'm, I, I know you guys are doing what, I can tell you love what you do. <laughs> we do. Absolutely yeah. love what you're doing. And it's been quite a ride and all, all th- you know, things that you couldn't even imagine happen happened. And same thing for me. I, I, I think, you know, my parents, my parents, I think always raised me to think that, you know, we didn't grow up with a lot, but I, they didn't put limits on me. And I think I've evolved as, as I've gotten older, you know, it's sometimes when you have kids, you think if I do this for me, is it, is it selfish? Is it, do I feel guilty being gone, being training or when we're on vacation and I get up in the morning and I go swim in a lake and I go jump in a lake and, (laughs) but I, I try to do it when everybody's sleeping or something like that, you know, but when the kids call me, they're like, well, I, I know mom, you're probably at the pool. Call me when you're, when you're, when you're back, you know, I
0: think think you acknowledge that they're, they're all a part of these aspirations together it's not just you right Blind solo like I know when I ran my most recent marathon it was the first time my whole family came and supported me and I I've openly said that my wife's the one who actually deserves the medal because mm-hmm. we have four small kids at home and she was with me through the whole process of letting me get out the door all summer long on the weekends and doing my long yeah. runs yeah. and I think definitely they just they felt included they felt a part of it just as much as I did
2: right and, you know, I was advised a long time ago not to take family on my swims because it's, it's not pretty out there. And you don't want somebody on the boat, you know, going like my husband. She looks hungry. She looks tired. You know, <laughs> we well, pull her out of, the of water, course she's right? going to look hungry and tired and, <laughs> and, and puffy and, you know, or she's being stung. And, you know, being on that boat is, is a skill set. And it's a uh, i I have strong women friends on that boat who know what to do and and they they do it's a skill set and uh, but then you know uh, the my family supports me and and definitely gives me lots of grace for when I need to go somewhere and I need to train and I need to go find go go find cold water and go to boston or go to California or leave in the morning and go to a pool when we're, when we're traveling somewhere. I don't know. I think I, to answer your question, I think that the one about where does it come from? I just, I think I started coaching when I was, you know, eight, 17, 18 years old, 18 years old. And I like that part of coaching, that part of bringing out, you know, things out of others, you know, and, and inspiring them. And that was what I took into my IT job. Even though I was a computer technology person, I was the energizer, the positivity person. You know, that's what my strength finder was. Well, and another
1: so. one of my strengths and strength is being of a developer. Yes. And that's what that, you're, you're describing yes. what I understand the developer to yes. be. Yes. As well someone who likes to see other people live their best self, be mm-hmm. their best selves, yes. their best lives, do yes. what they love.
0: And actually, on your website, you you it says that you inspire people to listen to their hearts. Yes. Say more about that.
2: It's hard, isn't it? It's there's a lot of reasons why we don't listen to our hearts. You know, especially if we're taking care of others and we have multiple. We wear many hats. I wear a lot of hats. I wear the mom, wife, daughter, friend, coach, and. I don't know. I think the probably the best thing I ever did was quit my job, quit that quit my big job even though it meant you know I make less money and we had to change a lot of things when we cut out my my salary and I've been literally trying to build it back. It's not it's not a perfect thing to that I listen to my heart all the time. But I think with swimming I truly for for whatever reason, swimming helps me listen to my heart. And I just had a feeling I could do some of these crazy things. And I didn't know how I was gonna do them, but I had a little, a little voice inside me. And I, I can tell you exactly when it changed. One I did the English Channel relay. I did a relay around Manhattan. I did a relay across Catalina Channel, and I did an English Channel relay. So th- those are the three swims that, that make up the triple crown of open water swimming. There are harder swims. There are more swims. But the triple crown is those three swims. And I did them as relays. So I got to t- dabble, right, and see if I liked them. When I, when I was on the Manhattan relay, I actually thought to myself, can I swim this alone? Yes, I think I, I, think I want to. I don't know how, but I think I want to. Why the East River, the Harlem and the Hudson? I don't know. But I, I thought- Having grown
0: mean, up right outside the city.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind I of- I don't know if I'd want to swim I know. in the
0: Hudson River. But. I mean, I got out
2: of my relay my relay turns with a beard. Like mm. it was all yucky stuff all over my face. And I'm wiping, 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 wiping. That said, they have cleaned up those rivers a lot. Yeah, so have. nothing has ever happened to me. But I do I do remember getting out of that swim and going, I wanna do this one. And I didn't know how. And then I think it was in 2018 I had I think I got accepted to swim into the Manhattan one, the the 20 bridges around Manhattan. And that's when I don't know, the English channel just nagged at me a little bit. And one night I just decided I was gonna stop thinking about all the reasons I can't do it or shouldn't do it. I flipped it and, and thought, what if I can? And I remember telling my son and my husband was on the couch. My son was there. And I said, watch what I'm going to do right now. Right now. I just sent an email to an English channel pilot. And my son said, are you okay if you get halfway there? And I said, uh, okay with that. But that's not going to be my goal. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And this was in 18. And I, I said, but Matt, what if I can't do it? You know, wouldn't that be cool? Let's stop talking about all the t- reasons why I shouldn't, or I'm too old, or, you know, I'm not good enough, or I'm a mom, and, and, and I shouldn't do this, or it's selfish, or all those reasons. I just flipped it on its side and said, what if I can and if I can, what can I do with that? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't change your life, but in some respects, it changes, it changes my life in the way I can connect to other people and inspire other people. And I knew that if I could do it, I wanted to talk about it and say, I'm a normal, well, relatively normal human being. I'm a normal 55-year-old wife, mom, coach. And... I'm, I'm, if I can do this, you can do whatever it is you want to do.
0: Well, you've inspired us today. <laughs> I also wanted to add yeah. to just about running. I, I think Michael deserves credit too. Cause he ran a 10 K uh, and pushed himself
1: did the same day. We ran the same day. We started to get, we were on the Starling line together Oh, and I was running a 10 K. I veered off after two and a half miles for the 10 yes. K and he did the marathon. I I, I, came I came in second, in second place, place in, in, his in age my bracket. age division look at you and i i had no thought that that would happen and that's awesome yeah, so now congratulations so it's like hey okay, what do i what's need next? what do i need to do next so uh, actually you know? that
0: question we wanted to ask <laughs> yeah. you today uh, and we know where our time's that's probably awesome. winding down here d- winding down here but w- what's next
1: for you yeah
2: <laughs> i know isn't that tough it's tough I'm sure after the marathon, too, you're like, what's next? And after the 10K, yeah, yeah, you're thinking, yeah. what's next? It's tough. I've, I've been done with Catalina, and Catalina was September 13th to 14th, and that one was actually two hours longer than the English Channel. So it was 17 hours, and that one completed the Triple Crown for me. And I, So I've been in this sort of drying out period for the <laughs> last six weeks, I've only swum four times, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting back. Getting that urge I'm back. I'm getting back, <laughs> yeah. I always have a little bit of PTSD after a big swim. I think it's because of all the big being tossed around for all those hours. And then I, I go to touch water, and it gives me a little bit of a ugh. But then once I'm in it, I'm fine. Uh, you know, And that'll go away. It's, it, it was like that before, too. I'm, I'm struggling with what's next in terms of swimming. I think... I'm going to, I'm going to swim for fun as hard as that is for me. And oh, this stuff was fun, but I mean, difference. it's different. Now I, I think I want to swim things that I really don't, at least for the next year, don't have to train the way I trained. You know, yep. that's, that's this, a tough. This
0: weekend I went for a 10 mile run and I just did it for fun. For fun. Yes. Right. And it's I, really nice. so
2: I was looking at a 15 mile <laughs> swim next summer for fun mm-hmm. and it's in a lake. It's not an ocean and you know, do some of the ones that are maybe a little bit more convenient, not in England or California and try to figure out what's next. I, I don't know. I, you know, you can go twice around Manhattan. I think about that. That's 40 bridges. There's other oceans and there's lakes like Mm -hmm. Lake Tahoe is a really good one to swim and it's long and it's at altitude. So that's a challenge. Sure. So it's hard to find the next challenge after, after you thought you did something that was pretty challenging. Yeah, I'm going to have fun.
1: Yeah. I think one more question. Yeah, What gives you hope?
2: What gives me hope? Humanity. I think I was overwhelmed by the number of people who followed me and cheered me on and watched me and tracked me, people I did not know even knew that that I existed, or that I knew them years and years ago. People that stayed up all night watching my tracker go. And people that I would run into it, where I used to live, who knew my entire story, knew everything about the swim, followed every post, and you know, people that say to me. I just got a text two days ago from one somebody I used to work with at Bucknell, and he said, I just want you to know what you do inspires me every day to figure out what I'm going to do next. I reread your posts. I watch what you're doing. You got back in the water already. You're going after something else or whatever. And I'm tra- he's trying to figure out what's next for him. And I'm overwhelmed by the fact that he thinks that what I do inspires him yeah. to do what he's trying to do. So I am i was astounded by all the love and support that surrounded me. And that gets me through those long swims. And that gives me hope in a time when the world, it can be a difficult place and we're feeling the effects of the pandemic. And, and But to have your... Our, to be wrapped in so many arms by so many people, near and far, friend or not even, I don't even know them. And they show up in pictures with my hat on in mm-hmm. Ireland. And I'm like, what? You no. Know, so that gives me hope.
0: It's great. This has been so astounding to us. Again, it's hard to even wrap our minds around all that you've accomplished, but you've inspired us and you've inspired so many of our listeners Thank today, you. too thanks for being here thank you
2: for having me yeah i love we, talking
1: this this has been tremendous too. we could continue talking I there's know. still so many there's so many more we questions part to two. ask and, mm-hmm. and, and details to learn and this has been fantastic <laughs> well thank they you. can go
2: to my website too if they want to you yes. know Eternal Me, and there's stuff up there so and then if you go if they go to the eternal optimist facebook group which is public you don't even have to be on facebook you can actually see you can go back and see the swim through the posts. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, thanks again for tuning into today's conversation with Jeannie. What a delightful person and and an inspirational person for all of us. There's so many things about this conversation that stood out to both of us. One thing I wanted to highlight was just this, this idea of taking her swim at 30 minute increments and not getting too far ahead of herself and also not reflecting back on what she had just done, but just staying focused in the moment and taking 30 minute segments of her swim, small bites. And I think about that and how many parallels that, that we can find with, with just our lives in general of how we can get too far ahead of ourselves sometimes and kind of get too caught up in the bigger picture. And I know that's not easy for me as a, as a futurist. But I think just taking one swim at a time, one 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 stroke, one stroke. Uh, for me, one one step at a time in my marathon
1: training and running. But I just think it's so apropos for life. I, I was impressed to build on that of her, her discipline and her perseverance and how she she did that and had the, the mental attitude about what she was doing and how she needed to do it. And who needed to be with her when she did it, and who didn't need to be with her when she did it, and all of those kinds of th- things that she learned about herself, I think, were very impressive in order to do s- make this incredible accomplishment. And not just not just the the English Channel swim, but the other swims that make up the triple crown of open water swimming, as well as you know other kinds of races and other kinds of endurance swims that that she's been on and is thinking about possibly doing is pretty incredible. And for someone who I you know just loved her her attitude about you need to live our, your best life. You need to you, you need to do you, you to listen to your heart and do what your heart is telling you to do. What's going to give you life? What's going to fulfill you? I mean, we we believe that too. And, to hear somebody who believes that, and someone who's accomplished what she's accomplished in believing that. I needed this conversation yeah, today. It's really impressive. So that's, uh, I I, too, I think both of us are just so grateful that we had this opportunity and that we could that we could be with her today and, and, wanted, and in
0: person too. We want to share just the incredible fact as she was on her way out the door, she whispered to us and she said, oh, I totally forgot to mention this, but the name of the boat that she swam next to was called The Optimist. And what an
1: incredible parallel that was, that was just unexpected. And when she, she said when she signed up for this, with this, this the, the person who owned the boat and had the boat, she had no idea what the name was. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't something she planned that she wanted a boat called The Optimist as an eternal optimist herself. It's just, it happened that way. And it was only after the fact that she realized what the boat's name was after she had contracted with it. So we thought that was pretty, pretty neat. And she wanted us to be able to share that as well. Jeannie has done something very remarkable and she is going to be the keynote speaker to some of the Teletu's 11th annual gathering in September. And we have a a short video clip that we'd like to share with Jeannie in it saying what she's done and talking a little bit about our event and how she's going to be part of it. So we hope you'll enjoy.
2: Hi, I'm Jeannie Seppi. Have you ever asked yourself, what if I can Have that something I always wanted to have? I did, when I asked myself if I could swim the English Channel at age 55. On Labor Day of 2021, I walked onto the shores of France. 14 hours and 55 minutes after I left England, in 63 degree water. A year later, I became the 112th woman to complete the triple crown of open water swimming around Manhattan, across the English Channel and across Catalina Channel. I learned so much about myself and about life and I'm sharing my story and my message at Someone to Tell It To's annual gathering on September 23rd. I sure hope you'll join us there and I look forward to meeting you.